You're listening to a message from Victory Dumaguete. Today we have this opportunity to celebrate, to reflect, and to preach on the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this, I believe, or perhaps is the greatest display of God's miracle ever that we have ever witnessed. And that is why it's worth celebrating, it's worth preaching on, it's worth you know, coming together to worship God. I hope it becomes our conviction as a local church to work on our schedule around worship and not to work worship around the schedules that we have. All right? It has been designed that way for the believers, for you and for me. And you know, later on, perhaps I'll cover some of these things. And true enough, this is why we call this of first importance. All right? This is of first importance. And every time you invite fellow church members to come to church, you never apologize for that. Amen? If someone professes and confesses to be a Christian, then tell them to come worship with us every single Sunday. Amen? Turn your Bibles with me for a while to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We are reading from the ESV. This entire chapter of 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is actually known as the resurrection chapter. I'll try to cover verses 1 down to verse 20. Let's read it all together. It says here, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you receive, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believe in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. What is that? That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas and to the twelve And he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me on the road to Damascus. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and His grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believe. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, as resurrected, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead indeed, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that He raised Christ whom He did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. 
the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. All right. I would say that I was listening to Tom, and I think Tom has given us a comprehensive look into the crucifixion and the events surrounding the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's something that, in fact, you know, I'll be asking his notes from last Sunday. And I think it's a good, comprehensive, and extensive look into the crucifixion of Christ. Because he has given us the importance of the crucifixion's historicity, which is very important, and its authenticity, and how we ought to respond as recipients of God's grace and mercy found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Alright, so I am teeing off from that. I'm taking off from what Tom preached last Sunday, and let me read Verses 1 down to verse 3 once again. It says here, now I would remind you, this is Paul writing to the church in Corinth. He says, now I would remind you, brothers of the gospel I preach to you, which you receive and in which you now stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with Scriptures. Would you say that with me for a while? In accordance with Scriptures. Let's start there. Alright? There are many ways to preach on 1 Corinthians chapter 15, but I'd like first to zero in for a while on the words in accordance with the Scriptures. I don't know with you, and perhaps it's just the context theme in me, but I'm telling you, every time I encounter something like this, it gives me a picture that everything that I read in the New Testament that has been affirmed and prophesied and predicted in the Old Testament gives me so much hope. The true enough God is the Alpha and the Omega, that He is a covenant-keeping God, that He is a promise-keeping God. So let's look at the word in accordance with Scriptures. You know, as Paul argues, let me just try to explain this clearly for a while, there were a group of people in the church in Corinth who were spreading fake news that there is no such thing as a resurrection. Alright? So... There was a group of people, and it's infiltrating the church. The church has been infiltrated, and many sincere believers were starting to doubt if indeed there really was a resurrection. So now Paul, in his brilliance, comes in and argues for the resurrection. He now argues with them, talking to them about the crucifixion and resurrection, and here it is. When he says, in accordance with the Scriptures, he's simply saying that this gospel, which is the good news, is actually an old news. Catch it? This good news that we call the gospel, this is actually not a new news. This is an old news. Meaning to say, the prophets 
They've been talking about this very day. This is a good news because now we're, talk, we're looking into the application of that which was prophesied. So in essence, when Paul was saying, in accordance with the scripture, so he was simply saying, this is bound to happen because God did say in the past that this was going to happen. Alright? That this was going to happen. Friends, listen. I look at this, the words, in accordance with the scriptures, and I realize this is the beauty of biblical theology. When I say biblical theology, I'm not saying theology that's biblical. What I'm saying is, there is basically just one meta-narrative in the entire scripture. Alright? Genesis to Revelation is basically one story. So meaning to say, here's how it looks like. When you are somewhere in the Old Testament, you know for a fact that something is going to happen in the future. If you have biblical theology in your mindset, then it makes you appreciate what Christ has done in the gospel account. That's why if you remember when we had our series on Haggai, we understand that everything basically points to Christ. I'm going to show you this for a while. And this is basically how your Bible looks like. This is what your Bible is. I want you to understand this. Every single page of your Bible, every single book in the Bible is actually Christocentric in nature. Meaning to say, they all point to Christ. Amen? They all point to Christ. The object and the subject of God's Word is our Lord Jesus Christ. Whether you go to the Old Testament, whether it's history or poetry, Psalms, Proverbs, prophecy, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, all of these things, it basically points to Christ. And now we are, as Paul was writing to the church in Corinth, we are somewhere here now. We are somewhere here now. This is the birth of the church, the propagation of the message of Christ. And now as Paul starts writing his letters... He starts telling them, hey guys, the events that happened in Calvary is actually for our good. It's actually for our benefit. We are now at a junction wherein we're looking into the efficacy of this. How effective is the crucifixion of Christ in our lives? One of my favorite verses in God's Word in the Bible, is found in Luke chapter 24, verse 27. Would you turn there for a while? Luke 24, verse 27. Look at this. In the very words of Jesus, he says, he actually claims the same thing. You remember, when there were two guys who were walking on the road to Emmaus, Jesus appeared to them, isn't it? Jesus appeared to them, and Jesus was asking them a question, and they were like, you didn't know what happened here the past few days. And so Jesus reasoned with them. And then it says here in Luke chapter 24, verse 27, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, are you folks catching this? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, look at this, Jesus interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. The Bible is Christ-exalting. So, as readers of the Bible, we have to be Christ-exalting believers. Amen. It all points to Christ. It all points to Christ. Now, what was in accordance with the Scriptures? Here it is. 
That the gospel I preached to you, it says here, I delivered to you as of first importance, what is the message? That Christ died for our sins. Amen. So the message is, yes, it points to Christ, but it's not just His person. It's not just pointing to the person of Christ. It's also pointing to the work and the ministry of Christ. And the summary of the person and the work of ministry of Christ is that Christ died for our sins. Christ died for our sins. Now here's what's interesting. Look at this. In the same letter, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, in the earlier parts of this letter, verse 2, here's what he says. He says, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Catch it? It's like, all right, Paul, what do you have for us, Paul? What do you have for us, Paul? Here's what I have for you. Jesus and Him crucified. The only message of Paul, accordingly, was Jesus and Him crucified. I want you to understand this. At the heart of Christianity is the cross of Christ. You folks realize that this is an old message that I'm preaching here today, but never gets old. Our guitarist, Ariel, got married last Saturday, and part of the sermon that we have for both Ariel and Rosanne was that we told them, Ariel and Rosanne, Without the cross, your marriage is not Christian. So at the heart of our Christianity, at the heart of the Christian message, is the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. So let me repeat that. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul tells them the message is about Jesus and Him crucified. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 2, he says, I endeavor to tell you nothing except Christ, and him crucified. Now here's what's intriguing. What's intriguing is if you look at Acts chapter 20, verse 27. In Acts chapter 20, verse 27, when Paul was writing this to the church in Ephesus, here's what he says: Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not look at this, shrink back from declaring to you the whole counsel of God's word. O, teka lang. Sabi mo, Paul, sa Acts chapter 20, verse 27, whole counsel of God's word. What does it mean? Let me put it this way. If you've read all the letters of Paul, all kinds of logi are actually there. He would have lessons in geology. He would have lessons on eschatology, the end times. He would have lessons on Christology. It's all littered in the letters of Paul. So that's why he says, he tells them to the church in Ephesus that the whole counsel of God's word, I did not shrink back in preaching to you the entire Bible. Parang ganun lang. Pero, sabi naman niya sa 1 Corinthians, Ang prinich ko sa inyo is Christ and Jesus crucified. So what do we have here? It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Why is this so? I want you to understand this. The reason for that is this. Because at the very pinnacle, in the highest apex of God's Word, like what I said, 
is the person and work of Christ. Let me put it this way. You folks love the story of David and Goliath, right? You know what our mistake is? A lot of times when we read the story of David and Goliath, we interpret it this way. We think, ah, here's how it looks like. I am going to defeat the Goliaths of my life. So sometimes when you think about Goliaths, you think about your huge debt. Sometimes when you think about Goliath, you look into your marital problems, the different kinds of challenges that you have in your academics. Sometimes we think of Goliaths that way. And you feel like, because you are the adopted son of God, you feel like you are David and you can slay this Goliath. Whereas, like what I said, if you understand that everything points to Christ, you would realize that, oh, wait a second, this story is actually pointing to David as Jesus and the Goliath, the very sin in our lives. The biggest issue in our lives are not social justice issues. The biggest sin in our lives is that an impending economic meltdown. The biggest issue in our life is our very own sin. So now Paul was like saying, yes, I was talking to you about so many things. But at the end of the day, it all rests and finds itself at the highest apex. And that is the person and the work of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know what I'm trying to do here to you today? I'm trying to give you reasons to worship Jesus. At the highest apex of all the Bible readings, the devil that you're doing is not the how-tos, how to win in life, how to be rich in life. Those are not the things that we're talking about. But it is actually that we have to understand that this all points to Christ. You know, at the end of the day, I'd like for you to understand this. Who of you here are appreciative with the fact that you are saved? I don't know how it echoes to you, but I am not afraid to die because I know where I will be if I die. But of course, I'm afraid how I will die. But if you look at these things, okay, I am a Christian, and perhaps some of you, you grew up in a Christian home, you can reflect on this. Here's my question. You are saved, but my question here is, what are you saved from in the first place? What are you saved from? As Christian believers, what are we saved from? Are we saved from what? Anything that you can think of right now. But here's what the Bible teaches us, alright? I want you to catch this. We are actually saved by God from God. We are saved by God from the wrath of God. And how does that happen? How does that play out? Only in Christ. At the end of the day, I want you to understand this. It happens only in and through Christ. Amen. Only in and through Christ. Christianity then, don't you ever forget this. 
Christianity then is all about Christ. Christianity is knowing Christ. Christianity is adoring Christ. Christianity is surrendering yourself to Christ. Christianity is worshiping Christ. Christianity is glorifying Christ. Christianity is all about Christ. At the very summit of all that you know, about Christ. We've been talking about this last year, right? Who God is and what He is like. Listen, I want you to understand this. At the summit of all that you know about Christ is His sin-bearing substitutionary death on Calvary's cross on which the worst about us was laid about Him. And to Him who knew no sin, God made Him to be sin for us. And not just that, we also understand. And He became a curse for us upon the cross. And the worst about us was transferred to Him. And the best about Him was transferred to us. And now we stand as the righteousness of God. Why? Because of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is really interesting. If you look at this, you know, one of these days, but all of us, if you are a believer, we will all gather, all of us, at one point in life eternal, we will all gather to see the throne room of God in heaven. And what will we see? What will we see in the throne room? We will see in the throne room what? The very Lamb of God at the very center of worship in heaven. At the very center of worship in heaven is not this pulpit, it's not this TV, but the Lamb of God. With what? What does He have? Nail, pierced hands, scarred to make us understand how much He loves us. It's interesting that if you go read the book of Revelation, if you go to the letters, you go to the Gospels, you could say that, you know, Jesus is referred to as the Lamb of God, isn't it? Alam niyo po ba, pagdating sa book of Revelation, nag-iba ng konting pangalan niya. He wasn't just called the Lamb of God, He was now called the Lamb who was slain. The lamb was slain. What's going to happen there? When we enter the throne room of heaven, here's what we're going to witness. We're going to witness multitudes of people worshiping God. And here's what they're going to say. Worthy are you to receive honor, power, dominion, and glory forever and ever. They're going to keep repeating that over and over again. Worthy of you, Jesus. Worthy are you, Jesus, to receive honor, power, dominion, glory forever and ever. And the elders will bow down. They will keep bowing down. They will keep casting their crowns over this object of worship in heaven. And that is our Lord Jesus Christ. The lamb who was slain, Matthew Bridges, in his hymn called The Lord of Love, he says, Crown him the Lord of Love, behold his hands and side, rich wounds, yet visible above, is beauty glorified. That's the way he says this is of first importance in verse 3. Now here's what Paul is arguing. He's saying, all right, um, like what I said, if you were here during the preaching of Tom last week, all right, that's great. I know that, yeah, 
Christ died for us. But now Paul brings it further. Alright? Now Paul brings it further. Paul was like saying, a preaching about the cross, a preaching about the cross, void of the resurrection, is only half the gospel. Catch it? It's only half the gospel. We cannot keep talking about the blooded cross without talking about the empty tomb. Amen? We can't keep talking about, okay, Jesus died for me, Jesus died for him. But I want you to understand this. Jesus has resurrected as well. That's an important component or an integral aspect of the gospel. Why? Because the empty tomb bears testimony to the triumph and victory of Christ over death. Let me begin by looking to verse 3 and verse 4. Look at this. It says here, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried and that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. It is the resurrection of Christ that bears witness and bears testimony to the saving power of the cross of Christ. What are we talking about? The resurrection is the validation. The resurrection is the authentication. The resurrection is the affirmation that what Jesus said on the cross, when He said, it is finished, indeed, it is finished. Here's what's interesting. Look at the words appeared from verses 3 down to verse 8. He was raised on the third day. He appeared to Cephas. He appeared to 500 disciples. He appeared to his brother, James. And he appeared to Paul himself. Paul was arguing in his letter to the Corinthians that indeed Christ has resurrected. Look at verse 12. In verse 12, it says here, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? So, so let's try to look at this first one. It says here, verse 12. Look at this. In verse 12, it says here, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? First, I'd like for you to understand that Paul argues that Christ is proclaimed. Alright? Christ is proclaimed. Here's what's interesting. Here's a trivia for you. One out of four verses in the book of Acts is actually a sermon or a mini-sermon. The point is, the church was a preaching church. Amen? The church was a preaching church. Yes, they were fellowshipping. They were having dinner together. They were sharing each other's belonging. But at the end of the day, the reason why the church was so effective was that they have read, had preaching day in and day out. So perhaps this is a question now. Alright, if that is the case, what then is the subject of their preaching? How to become prosperous? How to win in life? How to be successful? How to have your best life now? No. The content of their preaching is one thing only, and that is what? Christ and Him crucified. 
Christ and Him crucified. That is why, let me just bring this in for a while. And I think I did tell some of you about this, discuss this with some of you. If you are a Christian, if you are a believer, the Bible tells us that we ought to grow. Everyone say grow. To grow in the knowledge and grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, ibig sabihin, pagka-Krisyano ka, dapat nag-grow ka. The interesting thing is, si Lord has appointed or has given you and me means of grace. Meaning to say, this means of grace are avenues for you to grow. Some of these means of grace are what? Prayer. Bible reading, Bible preaching, communion, even baptism. These are means of grace. Now, here's what's interesting. The means of grace are only effectual to the believer to the degree that you participate in them. Catch it? Now, here's what's interesting. What's interesting here is that if you look at this, this means of grace collectively are actually found in a Sunday service. Right? We pray, we preach the word, we do communion. So, ibig sabihin, you have a package in one Sunday. Now, here, the primary, everybody say primary, the primary means of grace is the preaching of the word. So if you come here and sit under the preaching of someone week in and week out, true enough, you will grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. We will grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. I saw this photo last night and I realized, hmm, ano kayang mangyayari Kung ganito ka committed yung church. What might happen if we have this kind of commitment? Talking about changing the campus, changing the world. If we have this kind of commitment. Talking about unreached people groups. If we fully embrace and have this kind of conviction, I tell you what, we will grow in the knowledge and grace of Christ. Not just that, we will evangelize this city in no time. Alam niyo po sa totoo lang, kahit walang snow dito, ganyan rin yung level of commitment natin over something that is our idol. Here's the next question. Alright, Christ is proclaimed. Here it is. How is Christ proclaimed? How is Christ proclaimed? Here's the answer. Christ is proclaimed this way. As raised from the dead. Interesting, isn't it? So your message, when you talk to someone who's not a believer, you don't just tell them, you know what, Christ died for you. You only give them half of the message of the gospel. 
When Peter preaches to them, when the disciple preaches to them, my power, alam nyo bakit? Because he starts talking about the resurrection power of God. When you read Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost, the greatest preaching ever, Acts chapter 2. When you read his preaching, you would see the dominance of the resurrection. Why? Because again, the resurrection, a lifeless body, suddenly was raised on the third day. Dapat nangangamoy na yan. Come on now. And I know you folks have a lot of your K-drama zombies. That's not what I'm talking about. We're talking about someone who was not resuscitated, but someone has resurrected from the dead. You know, Paul makes it very clear in verses 3, verse 2. He says that Christ died and he was buried, isn't it? So hindi siya, he didn't just pass out. Right? Hindi siya hinimetay. He died. He was buried. And on the third day, we understand he was raised. Because Christ was raised from the dead. What is the importance of that? Number one, the sufficiency of the sacrifice has satisfied God. Not just that. The efficacy, the efficacy of his death is validated. Meaning to say, the old news, alright? The old news, which is a good news, is not fake news. Meaning to say, God indeed, you know, worked on that which he said he would do. Here's what's interesting. You know, Paul was arguing with them. He says, huh? How can some of you say there's no resurrection of the dead? Di ba pinag-usapan na yan sa biblical foundations class? Di ba tinuro na sa one-to-one yan? Diba we've talked about this and now you're believing that there's no resurrection of the dead. The reason for this is there's a group of people in Athens who was preaching this and this preaching has reached actually Corinth. And now people were swayed by these teachings. And I'm telling you what, some of you will be out of Dumaguete eventually in the future, the near future. And culture will preach to you. And I hope you remain grounded on God's word. There was in Athens what we call a Gnostic dualism in which you know, they believe that you know, the body is evil so they don't want to believe that there is a resurrection of the body. The only good one is the soul or the spirit for that matter according to them. Which we understand is actually a wrong preaching. How important is this that we preach about the resurrection of Christ? Here it is. If I go to June, if we have coffee, assuming that June is not a believer, I preach the gospel. I mean, here's what I'm going to tell you. Uh, you know what, June? You know what, June? You are favored by God. You know what, June? God is looking at you right now. And Christ died for you because Christ loves you. Is that a wrong message? That is a good message. What is the response of June? Oh, we are cheap. Thank you. God loves me. But when you start talking about the empty tomb, the reaction of June is not just Awi, but he will say, Hallelujah, praise the Lord. Because Christ indeed has risen. It's only half the gospel. When we just talk about the crucifixion of Christ, 
Look at some of the consequences of their wrong belief. Paul outlines them. In verse 13, he says, But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. He says the same thing in verse 16, For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. Do you folks realize how important that is? If you are a believer and you don't believe in the resurrection, or the resurrection is not integral in your life, if that is the case, then where does that leave us? Because it's like saying, okay, if you do not believe in the resurrection of the dead, then it goes on to say that Christ himself was not raised from the dead. Oops, teka lang. Delikado yun. Where does that lead us? It leads us to verse 14. And if Christ then has not been raised, look at this, then our preaching is in vain. Then what are we doing here? Why are we building a building project? Let's bring back Gigi from Pakistan because our preaching is in vain. Bakit patay ba victory group, victory group? Bakit patay magpa plants and pillars? In essence, that was what Paul was saying because every gospel testimony, every gospel preaching, every gospel witness, every gospel lesson is empty, bankrupt, devoid of the power of God. If Christ has not been raised, if there is no resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ the de- of the, from the dead, then we're just involved in religiosity. Then there's no difference between you and the Mormon out there. There's no difference between you and Apollo Kiboloy. Napansin niyo ba yung church nila? May name ni Jesus yun. The kingdom of God and blah, blah, blah. But Jesus is there. Sobrang holy pakinggan, but empty, devoid of power. Why? Because there's no resurrection message preached on the pulpit. So if we do not believe and embrace the resurrection power of God, we become like them. Devoid of power. Just ministering here, just volunteering in the tech ministry, music ministry, but you know nothing about the power of God. That is found in this gospel. The resurrection of Christ is not incidental. It is fundamental. It is not peripheral. It is primary to the Christian message. Verse 14, And if Christ has not been raised from the dead, hindi lang that your preaching is in vain, your preaching, my preaching, but it also says here, your faith is in vain. Meaning to say, it's not only my preaching that is in vain, it is your listening that is in vain. Before I became a Christian, when I was a student, on a Sunday, I would frequent like perpetual, I would go there, you know, I'm totally fine staying outside. In fact, I want to be late because I want to stay outside. I just want to be with my friends. Then after Mass, I feel so holy because I dip my finger in something, on holy water. Devoid of power. Our listening is in vain. If there's no resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, you are wasting your time. I'm not going to ask you to come here on a Sunday. I'm wasting my time. You're wasting your time. Stop reading the Bible if that is the case.
No need for devotions and stuff like that. Magpugad baboy ka na lang. Huwag ka na mag-Bible. Alam niyo yan? Verse 15, we are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God and He raised Christ, whom He did not raise, if it is true that indeed the dead are not raised. We will be what? Found to be misrepresenting God. So what becomes of us? We become what? False witnesses of God. Oh, teka lang. If you preach the gospel to your neighbor, if you preach the gospel to your friends, make it a point that you don't become a false witness by not preaching about the resurrection of Christ. Kaya yung preaching natin, it's not always something that just warms the heart. Hindi parang syrupy message na sobrang sentimental. No, preach them the counsel of the gospel. Preach hell to your friends. Preach Christ to your friends. Because we testified about God, that He raised Christ. Now, this is the shock, shocking thing here in verse 15. It says here, if we do not believe the resurrection of Christ as believers, you know what comes out here? Because we testify about God that He raised Christ, it gives us a picture then that we pit ourselves against the testimony of God. If you don't believe in the resurrection, you're simply telling God the Father that He is a liar. Because testimony niya yun. Sinabi niya yun from the book of Genesis hanggang sa mangyari yun. So every time a believer doesn't believe the resurrection of Christ, you're like pointing your finger on God and telling God that He is a liar. Verse 17 says, If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. And look at this. And you are still in your sins. Catch it? No resurrection, no salvation. No resurrection, the wrath of God abides in you. Romans chapter 1, Romans chapter 2. That the wrath of God will be like a river flowing down on you and it will hit you hard. If you do not understand or embrace the resurrection of Christ, Here's another thing, verse 18 says, Then those also who have fallen asleep, I'm talking about the consequences of not believing the resurrection. Verse 18, Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Fallen asleep are those who died in the Lord. Christian believers who died, passed away. So it says here, Yung pala mga namatay, Sa totoo lang, hindi ko pala pwedeng sabihin na, okay, rest in eternal peace. If Christ has not resurrected, because you folks know that after our death, we understand comes judgment. If Christ has not been raised, then you are still in your sins. It gives us a picture then that faith is only as good as the object of its faith. 
as the object of faith. If you are a drowning man and you were given a rope and you latch it on something that is plastic, it cannot pull you up. The resurrection tells us, the resurrection is like the prop that lifts the cross high. The reason why we can worship God, the reason why we can worship Jesus was because the resurrection happened. At the end of the day, I'd like for us to understand that a dead Savior cannot give you life. Come to think of this. If my message, if the message of Christianity is Christ died for you only, then wait a second. Isn't that what Jose Rizal did as well for the country? So ano si Jesus martyr lang? What makes him different from the rest of the martyrs around the world? No! You know what makes him different? The resurrection. He isn't a hero. He is your savior, the savior of your soul. A dead savior cannot give you life. A dead savior cannot rescue us. A dead savior cannot lift us up, cannot deliver us from eternal damnation. The Bible teaches us that we call upon the name of the Lord and we will be saved. Then how can you be saved if you have a savior that's dead? Who can't even hear you. In Christ, we have hope. Look at this. In Christ, we have hope. Verse 19. In Christ, we have hope. In this life only. Ah, okay. If Christ did not resurrect, so, religiosity lang to. In this life only, wala palang eternal bearing. So, puro lang pala to self-control para kunyari hindi ako mag-sin. And then what happens next? We are to be what? People most spirit to be pitied by all men. So, meaning to say, if Christ did not resurrect, tama lang pala yung mga friends ko that they mock my Christianity. Because I'm wasting my time. So what do we have so far? Look at this one. This is quite the least if Christ has not been raised from the dead. Number one, our preaching is in vain. Our faith is in vain. We are false witnesses of God. We testify against God. We are still in our sins. We are to be pitied. Those who have fallen asleep are now perishing from the flames of hell. You want the good news? Here's the good news. Go to verse 20. Here's what verse 20 says. Verse 20 says, But, amen? Come on now. It says here in verse 20, But in fact, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. You'll never hear this from Islam. You'll never hear this from Hinduism. You'll never hear this from Buddhists. You'll never hear this anywhere in the world apart from the gospel message of Christ. So tell me now, why in the world will I not put my life and dedicate myself into the preaching of His Word? Why? Because this is good news. This is true news. So 
in fact Christ was raised from the dead, what does it mean? The opposite of everything that I have told you from verse 13 to verse 19. Here it is. Because Christ has been raised from the dead, our preaching is powerful. Not our voice. When you preach God's word, God's word says what? His word is living and active. It is sharper than any double-edged sword, piercing straight through bones and marrows. It also says the word of God is not bound, is not changed. Every time you preach God's word, it brings about power, a supernatural power upon the people to whom you're preaching to. This is not TED Talk. This is not useless speeches out there. This is the preaching of God's word. And the Bible tells us that every time we preach God's word, God's word washes us. Our preaching is powerful, not just that. Our faith is dynamic and alive. Who am I going to Alice say that now that you are a Christian, you feel like, man, this is not a boring life. This is a life of adventure. I may not have money tomorrow, but I'm excited how God is going to provide. Come on now. Our faith will be dynamic. Our faith will be so alive. We will have a fresh encounter with God every single day. In fact, yung sabi ko kanina, call upon the name of the Lord. Guess what? Bible teaches us that He will incline our ears. He will incline our ears toward Christ. You folks realize that the Bible also teaches us in the book of Psalm, I think 36, Bible teaches us that God is what? The lifter of our heads. This is the God that we worship. I have a God who lifts my head if I am downcast. If I am sad, if I am lonely, if I need company. This is the faith that we have because Christ has been raised from the dead. Not just that, because Christ has been raised from the dead, we are true witnesses of God. God affirms you to be His witness. We bear witness with God of truth to the world. My goodness! And perhaps one of the most important thing here is this. Because Christ has been raised from the dead. Guess what, friends? We are no longer, no longer, no longer in our sins. That's why on an Easter, on a Resurrection Sunday, we shout, Lord, thank you. Indeed, hallelujah, God. Because you have risen. We are not in our, in our sins anymore. It testifies that the death of Christ was not just a martyr's death, was not just a hero's death, but that is a Savior's death. Preaching the gospel never gets old. Because Christ has been raised from the dead, our beloved loved ones who have passed on to glory one day we will have a reunion with them. Together with them, we will be worshiping God. So I don't have to think about where Lester is, where Dr. Agrappa is, where Wind is, where our church member is, where your child is, where your son is. Those who have fallen asleep in the Lord, guess what, friends? Their spirit immediately is in the presence of God. Come on now. 
Is this not so much hope infused to us? Because Christ has been raised from the dead. Because Christ has been raised from the dead. It says here a while ago in verse 19, For this life only... No! No! Because Christ has been raised from the dead, our home is not in this world. Our citizenship is in heaven. Amen! Jesus said, I go before you and I prepare a room for you. Oh my goodness! The Lamb who was slain has done this for you and for me. For what purpose? To tell you how much He loves you. That you may glorify and honor Him for the rest of your life. Last verse, then we're going to end. It says here, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Look at this. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Jesus is the first fruit of those who have fallen asleep. This verse, verse 20, and if you read further, gives us a picture that you and I, you and I, will also resurrect. You and I will also resurrect. Time will come. Time will come that Jesus will come back. And those who have fallen asleep with the miraculous power of God will be raised from the dead. We were buried in the ground, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. That is the doing of the Lord. And God displays His power that He can form us from the dust of the ground. We will stand before God. Those of us who are living will be caught up in the air to meet our Heavenly Father, to meet Jesus Christ rather. We will all resurrect and face judgment. Even as believers, we too will be raised to life. I don't know with you, but I'm excited for that. Amen. I'm so excited for that. Huwag bukas, Lord. A few more things and I'm going to end. I want to ask these questions. Where is Christ today? Where is Christ today? Seated on the throne in heaven. When we resurrect, what is the resurrection for? For judgment, we understand that. And you know, I want to throw this question that I realize that I haven't asked this question in a preaching for what for more than a decade now. And here's the question. If you die today, if you die today, if you die today, where will you go? Where will you go? That's a question worth pandering, friends. And can you please stop saying, I will go to heaven because I received Jesus in my life? Kasi si Jesus po hindi anting-anting, hindi pil na lilunurok natin. You will go 
in the gates of heaven because Christ has received you, not because you have received Christ. It's not because of our own doing, not because of what we have done, but this is only because of the sheer mercy and grace of God. You just heard a message from Victory Dumaguete. For more messages like these, or to access other resources, please visit victorytumaguete.org or like our page on Facebook.